0: It dawned on me this morning when I was walking in here that this is the first time in almost five months I've worn a long sleeve shirt to preach in. That's how nice the weather has been, right? But how good was that rain? Wasn't that a good thing actually? Uh, Here's a little window into my world. The first rain of fall, uh, it means something Else in my house than it might mean in yours, okay? The first rain of fall in my house means that mushroom hunting season has begun. And that's, I know it's weird, that's because I'm married to the most interesting woman in the world, okay? And so that's how I know mushroom hunting season has begun. So it's very likely that sometime in the next week, I will be out in a forest somewhere hunting for chanterelle. I have a picture of chanterelle mushrooms, like, See those beauties? We found those last year. And here's what I just need to go on record as saying, I found all of those mushrooms. (laughs) Not that it's a competition, but I found all of those mushrooms, all right? And I'll be selling some next Sunday. No, I won't. won't. You say, what does that have to do with Jesus? Absolutely nothing. But anyway, um, I would like to talk about Jesus. Will you grab your Bible and open with me to the Gospel of Matthew? We're continuing today in a series that we've titled, Formed, How Jesus Makes Disciples. And this morning, we're going to study an account in the book of Matthew that shows us arguably the most Famous discipleship moment in all of the gospels. Okay. I'm talking about the moment when Peter walks on the water. It's all right. Wonderful story. Talking about that moment when the Lord Jesus called Peter to step out of the boat and come to him on the water. It's in Matthew 14, would you turn there? And here's what I wanna do. I I wanna give you a one sentence summary of everything that I'm gonna talk about today so that you know where I'm going, all right? Here's the sentence. Jesus forms disciples outside of the boat, not inside. He forms disciples outside of the boat Because it's only when you're outside the boat that you'll actually learn a way of walking that's totally dependent on Him. Amen? Does that sound good? Outside the boat. In week one, Pastor Eric, who has done such a wonderful job of setting up this series, he, uh, I'm really thankful for his heart and his preaching. He shared with us a definition of a disciple, and I want to take you back to it. I've got a, a, a little screen here. Here's how we are defining a disciple in our church. Uh, do we have that screen, Barb? A disciple is someone who entrusts themselves to Jesus as Savior, Lord, and Teacher. That's a great definition, all right? And if you were here week one, Eric looked at those three words at the end in particular, Savior, Lord, and Teacher, and he he had this moment where he said, we, we want to avoid a kind of discipleship that is only about one of those aspects of the identity of Jesus. You remember this? Like savior-only discipleship versus Lord-only discipleship versus teacher-only discipleship. And what you're going to see as you look at Jesus out on the water is all three of those things. Savior, Lord, and teacher. But the other word I want to direct your attention to is the word entrusts. We just look at that word for a minute? Entrusts. This is the key. There is a way of living in this world in which you entrust yourself totally to Jesus. But here's the thing, folks it can only be learned outside the boat. That's where you learn it. The text we're about to read is a miracle story with two acts. The first act is totally centered on Jesus. The second act is centered on Peter. In the first act, Jesus comes to his troubled church, walking on the very waters that are beating against their boat. And in the second act, a faith-filled disciple joins Christ out on the water. And together, they do the impossible. And it's a picture of discipleship. That's the thing I want you to see. This is about disciple formation. So as you read this with me, I'm gonna gonna have you notice something. I'm about to read it. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Notice as I read, all of the action in this story is happening outside of the boat. All the lessons are learned out there. All the exciting things are happening out there. Even the 11 who are still in the boat, their eyes are fixed on what's happening out on the water. Let's read it now. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Just put your finger there and let me pause. This is describing one of the famous storms that would sweep down on the Sea of Galilee, and they were very tumultuous. This storm was life-threatening, waves crashing inside of the boat. And here's the question that you want to ask. When Jesus came commanded his disciples to get into the boat, here's the question, did he know this storm was coming? And the answer is, absolutely. Did Jesus send them intentionally out on a boat knowing they would find themselves in a life-threatening storm? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I This is not even really the point of the sermon other than to say, when when I read this, I reflect on the last year and a half in the life of the church and think, we've been through a storm. And what I love about it is Jesus is totally in control of everything that's going on. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing, folks. Jesus doesn't form disciples by preventing them from going into storms. He forms disciples by joining them in the middle of it with sovereign power. Which is precisely what's about to happen. Verse 25: In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. The seasons in my life where I grew the most as a follower of Jesus were always the seasons when I was called to step out and do something that was impossible. Isn't that true? That's when I always have grown the most. And I bet that you would say the same. I grow the most when I'm called into something that to me seems impossible. I'll never forget a conversation I had with my youth pastor when I was a young man, 18 years old. He came to have lunch with me because I was not doing well. I was a freshman at Willamette University in Salem. I was probably the closest to depression that I've ever been in my life. When I was a young man, I was was a pretty high-strung dude. (laughs) And I got really freaked out about my studies and my grades and my future and my career. And I got to Willamette and Willamette was not a great place for a guy like that. And I was very focused on me and honestly, spiritually, I was shriveling. And I'll never forget having lunch with my youth pastor. His name was Eric and he listened to everything. And he said to me, Adam, If you wanna grow, you've gotta give your life away. You've gotta give your life away. You're totally focused on you. You gotta give your life away. I didn't even realize I was in the boat. I was in the boat. And in that moment, Eric said, I've got something I need you to do for me. He said, and I was like, tell me what to do. And he said, I want you to actually start a ministry at our church. Um, he said, we don't have any ministry to junior high kids and you're gonna start one at our church. It was one of those conversations where as the person is saying it, you can see in their eyes, they're immediately regretting what they're actually saying to you. Like right in that moment, I'm gonna entrust the spiritual health of our junior hires to you. And then he's thinking, this is a really bad idea, right? And I'm thinking, this is a really bad idea. But do you know what happened to me over the next nine months? I grew more in my Christian life than I could grow in years because I was totally Out over my skis. I was out on the water. Peter experienced two things with Jesus outside of the boat. You should write these down. He experienced patience and uh, power in the walking, power in the walking, and he experienced patience in the sinking. And both of those, you can only experience out of the boat. Power in the walking and patience in the sinking. I just want you to think about those words. These are the two words we're going to focus on, power and patience. Last week, Eric talked about instruction and practice. Remember that this this morning, it's power and patience. And of course, I'm talking about the power of Jesus and the patience of Jesus. Power. You'll never learn how to walk by power until you're out on the water. That's where you learn it. So we gotta go to the moment. Just look very briefly, look at verse 29. Matthew describes it in very simple terms. Peter got out of the boat. But the thing is, we can actually go to that moment and imagine what that was like. Just try to get there with me. He's in the boat. Jesus has said, come out. There's Jesus. We don't know, maybe 10 yards, 15 yards away. And imagine the other disciples' amazement as Peter swings his feet out of the boat and begins to put a foot down. And, and he probably feeling the water. Maybe moisture was over his sandals. Maybe there was initially that moment where he's still using his leg muscle to keep his foot above the water. He hasn't pushed away from the boat yet. I wonder how fast his heart was beating in that moment. Do you remember the first time you jumped off a high dive, like diving board? Do you remember that feeling? Some of you have post-traumatic stress from this moment right now because you were that kid that was crying, holding on to the diving board as, the, as kids behind you are screaming, okay? That's that feeling. You step up, you look over and your heart just starts pounding. This is Peter. Imagine what it was like when as his foot touched the water and then a second foot and then he let go of the boat and realized something impossible is happening right now. This is impossible. That's life outside the boat. And it's hard not to see that Matthew's creating a contrast between life in the boat and life outside the boat. In terms of like physical distance, we're talking maybe a couple of feet, but in terms of spiritual living, it's, they could not be further apart, right? Life back in the boat does not require an explanation. Just think about that for a minute. Life in the boat, and I've, I've been there a lot in my life, okay? It just doesn't require an explanation. No one's going, how are they doing that, staying in the boat, (laughs) right? But life outside of the boat requires an explanation. Sisters and brothers, I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be explainable without the power of Jesus. I don't want that. I don't want my life to be explainable without the power of Jesus. And maybe more importantly, because it's not really about me, Jesus doesn't want my life to be explainable without Jesus. And he doesn't want your life to be explainable without Jesus. I always think of my youth pastor, Eric. I've never been around a person where I found myself scratching my head more thinking, what is this guy's What is the explanation for who he spends time with? Why does he spend time with people like that? Which included people like me. Why does he spend his money doing the things that he does with people like that? Why does he spend his time giving constantly away to other people rather than spending his time for himself? Inexplicable. I think of my friend Nopum in Myanmar. Have you been watching the news in Myanmar? It's getting worse and worse and worse. Civil war is breaking out. We hear from Nopum almost every week. When I, when I think of Nopum, I think there's a man living a life that can only be explained by Jesus. Amazing, I love it so much. So life in the boat doesn't require an explanation. But here's another thing, life in the boat does not require courage, Okay, It feels safe in the boat, which is probably why we stay there. It's why I stay there, because it's safe in there, right? It doesn't require courage. Now, I've heard a lot of opinions about courage this past two years. And we have received lots of emails about courage, which is really interesting, Okay. all kinds of emails about courage. So we've received emails that say, if you had any courage, you would not buckle under pressure to open the church for in-person gatherings. If you had any courage, you would not do this, clearly. And then the very same day, I'll get an email that says, if you had any courage, you would give Kate Brown the communication finger, all right? And you would throw open, throw open the doors for worship. And I received those two emails in the same day. I've received in the same day, an email that said, if you had any courage, you would stop talking about politics. And then I'll receive an email that says, if you had any courage, you would keep talking about politics. In the same day, I received an email that said, if you had any courage, you would stop talking about racism. And then in the same day, I received another email that says, if you had any courage, you would keep talking about racism. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that people tend to define courage as someone taking a stand for the position that they already hold. But wait a minute, what if Jesus doesn't agree with our definition of courage? What if courage is nothing to do with my personal views? What if courage is about me taking my eyes off of myself and taking a step of faith that, where I abandon all safety and comfort to follow in the way of Jesus? And I wanna live a life like that. And I have a feeling you do too. Here's one last thing I wanna say. Life inside the boat does not require total trust in Jesus. Because when I'm in the boat, I can trust in the hull. I can trust in the oars. I can trust in the sail. But once I get out there on the water, I have to redirect my trust totally to Christ. Now, there's two details in this story that most modern readers totally miss. You and I probably missed this but there are critical details. The reason we miss them is we're not ancient Jews. And the second reason we miss them is because we read really fast. Here's the first detail, all right? This entire episode is an Old Testament echo that is designed to reveal to the disciples the full identity of Jesus. It's what we call a theophany, all right? A God sighting. And more specifically, it's a Christophany. A sighting where you get the full identity of Christ. And the, reason we, the number one reason we miss this is we, don't, we are not reading this in the original Greek. So what I want to do is have you look now at that moment when Jesus speaks to the disciples from the water. Look at verse 27, and let me read this to you in the original Greek. Now, your Bible says, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. But here's what it says in the Greek. This is the words of Jesus. Take courage, I am. fear not. We read, we read it as I, and they've done that in the English to make it more understandable, but that's not what Jesus said. He did not say in Greek, it is I. He said, I am, which is an echo all over the Old Testament, from out of the burning bush, from all over the Exodus, and all through the rest of the Old Testament, when God gives away his personal name, Exodus three from the burning bush, I am who I am. Moses said, Lord, when I go to the people, what name should I use? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. And now we have Jesus Christ on the water coming to his disciples, self-identifying with I am. It sounds a lot like Isaiah 43, I'll read it to you. Look at this. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned and the flame shall not consume you for I am. Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And now here's Jesus standing on the very waters threatening the boat, giving them his true identity. And now you know why Peter from inside the boat, hearing that word, I am, remembering Isaiah 43 and thinking, wait a minute, this is not a mere man. This is why I can go to him on the water. It was that that triggered faith. Peter looked and he saw Jesus standing on top of the very thing that was threatening to bury their boat as the true and living creator God. And Peter said, I want to live like that. Remember last week, Eric gave us this definition of of discipleship. He said, discipleship is becoming like Jesus as we walk with him in the real world. Remember that? Discipleship is becoming like Jesus. Peter saw Jesus and said, I wanna be like him. But he wanted to be like the Jesus who was revealing himself from the water. And that is what triggered faith. It wasn't faith that Peter mustered up. It wasn't faith that Peter generated within himself. It was a faith that was triggered immediately by finally seeing the true identity of Jesus. Friends, can I tell you something? You'll never get out of the boat if you don't see the full identity of Jesus. You gotta see it and believe it. And when you do, it will trigger a courage and a trust and a faith that will allow you to do the impossible. I believe it. Here's the second detail that we miss. Peter did not step out of the boat until he had received a command from Jesus. Now, this is really interesting, okay? Look at verse 28. It's interesting. Peter does not ask for an invitation. He's not asking for a promise. Promise me it'll go well. Look what he, this is very, very strong in the Greek. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. And Jesus did. Jesus said, come, and it was, it's, it's an imperative in the Greek. And here's the lesson. Peter did not step out of that boat on his own initiative. He did not step out of that boat because it was his idea. He did not step out of that boat in his timing. He stepped out of that boat for one reason and one reason only, Jesus commanded him to do it. Do you remember the famous book The title is, if you want to walk on water, anyone want to finish the title? You got to get out of the boat. Okay, this is dating me and a lot of other people. All right, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. It was a very popular book. It was actually a great book. I do have a quibble with that title though, okay? If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. First of all, it's very self-referential, okay? The second problem with that title is, I promise you that will actually not work in your life, okay? Go with me to Willamette, the Willamette River right now. We'll get on a boat, and I promise you it's not going to work, all right? Here's how the title should go. If you want to walk on water, wait until Jesus commands you to do it. And also about every other thing that, is, that requires the impossible. Jesus will never bless an adventure that I conjure up on my own but he will empower adventures that he commands. You say, well, pastor, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not hearing any commands from Jesus. Well, we have an entire New Testament full of commands that will take the rest of your life to fulfill. And I promise you that if you try to obey them, it will require you to live out life outside of the boat. A lot of commands. Can I share a couple of them with you? This is where it gets really practical because I I believe that today Jesus is going to call every single one of us out of of the boat in some aspect of your life. So here's one of my favorite verses, Colossians chapter four, verses five and six. We, on Wednesday night with the college group, we, Kathy and I talked about this verse and I love this verse. I'm just going to read it to you. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. This is a command from Jesus in the New Testament. He says, here's how you live towards people outside of the church. Walk in wisdom towards them, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now look. Look that verse is impossible to do without the power of Jesus. Walking, I I call it wise walking and gracious talking. Wise walking and gracious talking. And I can't do that without the power of Jesus. And sometimes it means I have to do things that I would never choose to do if my agenda was driving. It means walking, finally, St- walking across the street and, and, and reaching out to my neighbor and inviting them for a meal. It means, oh, my heart's beating. I have got to go now talk to that employee about my faith in Jesus, that, that, that coworker. Today's the day. I know I'm supposed to do it. It's really scary. It's time for me to invite my coworker to lunch and share my faith with them. It's time for me to pick up the phone and call my friend and ask for forgiveness. I really don't want to do this, but I need to walk in wisdom. Paul says, making the most of the time. He's saying, time here is so precious. Don't waste another moment. There may not be a tomorrow. How would that change the way we would live? I think we would live outside the boat, right? Or here's a verse. Philippians two, three and four, I love this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility can count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How are we doing on this? <laughs> how are we doing? How's our, uh, how's our grade right now? This takes so much power from Jesus. The first verse is about how we, how we live with folks out there, the second verse is how we live with folks in here. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Always look to the interests of others. Love this. How about you? Have you felt, I think Jesus is calling, have you been felt, feeling like you're called to something? Is there a need in your community? Is there something that's been causing ache in your heart? Is there a justice issue that you just feel like you've got to do something about it? Have you been praying for a a group of people that as of yet have not heard the gospel and your heart is beating? And Jesus would say, perfect, trust me. Recognize my identity. Get out of the boat. Let's do this. You can do this, but only with me. Here's one last thing I want to say. If you live your life outside the boat, sometimes you're going to sink. You're going to sink sometimes, okay? And here's what I want to say about that. That's totally okay. That's totally normal, all right? If you live outside the boat, sometimes you will sink. Do you know why that's okay? Because that's when you experience the beauty of the patience of Jesus. So look at it, verse thirty. And 31, here's something shifts now in the story. Peter's doing great. He's walking towards Christ. Now look at this, verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand. Now I'm gonna keep bringing, uh, I just wanna notice something. The saving could have happened with a word. Jesus could have said, something, anything, you know, abracadabra. And, and Peter would have immediately come back. But he, he doesn't just save with a word, he saves with a touch, he saves with a hand. So imagine you're Peter, you're, now you're pretty far away and you're going down into the water. Imagine the comfort of the, of the strong arm of Christ reaching out. I bet it was very encouraging. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Christ called Peter, not only that he might walk on the water and so know the power of Jesus, he called Peter so that Peter might sink, so that Peter would come to know the patience of Jesus. And I just love this. Power and patience, back and forth. Think of it as a, a rhythm of your life as a disciple. There will be moments when you will experience the amazing power of Christ and then there will be moments when you will sink. And that's okay. It's actually very beautiful. It's in those moments that Jesus is there with a strong arm. You see this pattern in the New Testament. The disciples are up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the greatest moment of power in their entire life as disciples. They come down the mountain and immediately they walk into a situation where they cannot heal a person because they don't have enough faith and Jesus scolds them. Power and patience. Peter, in a great display of power, he sees the true identity of Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then immediately he turns around and he rebukes Jesus for saying that he's going to die on a cross. Peter says, may it never be so. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Power and patience on constant repeat. And can I tell you something? I see this pattern in my own life all the time. Moments when, when I, I experienced the power of Jesus followed very quickly, like within the next five minutes, I guess sometimes, by moments of where if you could know what was happening in my heart, you would be shocked. Failure and negativity and doubt. And it's in those moments when Jesus, the patience of Jesus meets me. How about you? Don't be discouraged, folks. Where are you right now in that pattern? It's all part of the plan of Jesus for you, as long as you're outside the boat. Amen? Amen? Now, one last thing I want to say. A lot of people have suggested that Jesus scolds Peter here. So just look at it really quick. Jesus is not scolding Peter. When we read, oh, you of little faith, we hear Jesus like like slamming on Peter. That's actually a, a term of endearment. It's a single word. It's the word little faith. And it's almost like a pet name. So there was tenderness in this moment. This is Jesus saying, Peter, little faith, you were doing so well. I mean, you were doing so well. And then, do you know what? Do you know why that happened right there? The reason that happened is because you took your eyes off me. And you temporarily got distracted by the waves. And I get it. They're scary. But the reason you began to sink is because you focused on the circumstances of your life. And you stopped focusing on me. And you know what happened in that moment? I think in that moment, Peter immediately started to rise again. And remember, this whole conversation is not happening in the boat. It's happening out on the water. They walked back to the boat together because Peter had, his faith in Christ had been restored by the patience of Jesus. And I love it. How about you, sisters and brothers? Where are you today? Are you in the boat? Is Jesus calling you out? Now for some, that might mean, that might mean a prayer of faith today. Stepping out of the boat for you might mean, today is the day I turn my life over to Jesus in faith. And if that's you, we have a prayer team that's gonna gather right over here. We'd love to pray with you. There'll be folks, you could come talk to one of the pastors afterwards. We'd love to pray about that. Maybe it's a step of faith in a relationship, in a ministry, in generosity. It could be just about anything. The only thing I would ask you to do is listen and obey to the command of Jesus in your life. And I'm gonna pray about that right now. Will you bow your heads? Lord, we're, we're feeling an immense amount of gratitude for your word. It's an important story with so many lessons, lessons that we are meant to hear. Jesus, we believe that you are the disciple maker you are forming us as a church. And part of that means calling us to step out. And as a family of faith, we wanna follow you. We wanna live like you in this world. Would you help us, I pray. I wanna pray this morning for all of my friends in this space who their hearts are beating right now because they know I'm being called into something. Lord, would you meet them there? For you, my my friend, that might be actually the, the call to turn your life over to Jesus today. I wanna say to you as we're praying, heads bowed in this moment, if that is you, can I just encourage you in this moment, give you a prayer to pray right now, you can respond right now to the call of Jesus. You can pray these words, which I'm inviting you. Pray these words right now with me. Jesus, I trust you. I do. I can't explain it. I don't understand everything about the Bible, about Christianity, but I know this. I can trust you and I do trust you. And I believe And what I'm hearing about you, I believe you are the son of the living God. I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again on the third day in power. And I believe that real life, abundant life is with you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Just keep praying that prayer as we worship today and then rejoice because you're a part of the family of Jesus. And so we love you, Lord. It's our great privilege to serve you. It's our great privilege now to take the Lord's Supper together, which we'll do. We thank you for this time and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.